is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, it's Allie along with your radio sisters, Rachel and Bo, and welcome to the Mulberry Lane Show. So glad you guys are here with us on this very cold weekend. Well, we hope to warm you up with today's guest. Let's get to it, sisters. All right. The Mulberry Lane Show's on Celebrity story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now First up today, Marlon Hargis of the supergroup Exile Now you know Exile from this massive hit? I wanna kiss you all over And over again And this one? And this one. I got love. Super love. Super duper love. For you. Marlon Hargis is the keyboardist for the group, and believe it or not, Exile is celebrating 55 years in the music business this year. You're going to hear from Marlon today about the 2018 No Limit Tour just about ready to kick off. Also going to hear some behind-the-scenes rock and roll stories about the hit, I Want to Kiss You All Over, and their foray into country music in the 80s. Exile has sold over 8 million records. You'll hear all about the gems of their musical journey today. Who's next, Allie? You'll hear from music composer and scoring genius, Siddhartha Kosla. Now you're going to know Sid's work from the NBC hit drama, This Is Us. This Emmy-winning and Golden Globe-nominated show puts Sid in the driver's seat of all the music associated with the show and recently released is the soundtrack from the show, which you can download. It's out now. It's called This Is Us, Music from the Series. And you're going to get a pretty good glimpse into the behind the scenes of the music choices for this series and a little bit about the filming of the series itself. Sid has a pretty interesting story, so you're going to get a bit of that too. We love the show This Is Us, and we're sure that you probably do too. Yeah, pretty awesome stuff. Well, the weather was so cold this week, and Rachel, I heard you made some chili, but it didn't turn out exactly how you wanted it to, so tell us about that. Yes, well, I figured I would throw a bunch of ingredients in the crock pot and have some yummy chili for when everybody got home. And everybody had the chili, and it was actually pretty good. And I had to do a lot of running around, so when I finally sat down to have a bowl of chili, I thought it needed a little more spice. So I went to the cabinet, I got some chili powder, shook it in there, stirred it around, and tasted it. And something just was not right. Well, evidently, instead of grabbing the chili powder, I grabbed the cinnamon. (laughs) Not everything is nice with cinnamon spice, right? That's right. Definitely not chili. No cinnamon spice in the chili, but we're going to throw some spice in the show to warm you up. That's right. We'll be right back with Marlon Hargis of the supergroup Exile. He's got a lot to share with you about the history of the group and what's next. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. That's right. Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. 
The band Exile brought you rock hits like I Want to Kiss You All Over, country hits Woke Up in Love, and I Don't Want to Be a Memory. And after lineup changes over the years, Exile is still together making music and celebrating their 55th anniversary with the No Limit Tour. Now, keyboardist Marlon Hargis joins your weekend right now to talk about the musical journey of a band who's managed to keep things together over time, still churning out hit performances and new music. Exile on the road. Marlon Hargis joins the show. <laughs> that's the first time I've ever been sung on the show. Awesome. <laughs> that's, that's, that's wonderful. That was great. <laughs> that's Thank a good you. way to start off the morning. Hey, how's, how's everybody doing today? We're doing good, and it's great to have you on the show. We've got yes. a lot to talk about. We do. <laughs> well, now, the winding road of exile, you know, has taken the group through many changes. You joined the group in the 70s, and you actually took a pay cut to join exile. So talk about why you saw your future with this group that really had yet to have a hit record. Well, we're all from little towns in Kentucky, pretty close to each other. You know, I knew everyone in the band for years. In the early 70s, I think it was around 73 or so, a couple of the band members had left and asked if I would want to join the band. And I did because at the time, the band Exile was, you know, the best-known band in that part of the country. So I was delighted to join. And that's how it came about. As I say, all five band members... We all started playing almost exactly the same time in 1963 in various bands. So now the song Kiss You All Over. Talk about how that song came to the band, how that whole thing came about. Well, in the mid-70s, we signed with a famous producer from England, actually. His name's Mike Chapman, and he was producing groups like The Sweet, a group called Smokey, and he uh, later produced Blondie, many other acts. But he was looking for an American act through a long set of lucky circumstances he happened to hear a tape of ours he was living in los angeles okay he liked the sound of the band he came to kentucky to hear us we were playing at a fraternity party somewhere or something okay. uh signed us to a production deal and we actually did quite a few recordings with him for a few years before kiss you all over he wrote kiss you all over along with his partner nikki chan and, and they wrote it for you guys others. right he did. We were recording an album called Mixed Emotions, which became a huge hit back then, and that was on that album. Now, when we recorded the song, we didn't really know it would be a single. I mean, it was just another song on the album. Okay. Mike had written a couple of other songs, and, and we wrote most of our other material. So that's how the song came about. When you recorded it, you weren't thinking, gosh, this is a great song. This is really going to be our ticket at the time. To be totally honest, no. Okay. Uh, I mean, it was just another song. And, and an interesting story, you know, we were still playing in clubs you know, around the area because, you know, after you record a project, there's a lag time before it's released. I mean, right. you know, we had finished the album, but we were still basically struggling. Yeah, uh, you still got to eat. Exactly. You girls know all about that. And at that time, we were literally playing for the door at bars and okay. stuff. I mean, we, we yeah. weren't making a lot of money. We would play that song, you know, in a dance club or whatever, and frankly, people didn't respond to it very well really? at that point. Uh-huh. And we were talking amongst ourselves when the record company said they were going to release it. We are going, man, this is a big mistake. You know, this, this song's not going to do anything. But then about a, a month later, we get a call that it's just absolutely burning up the charts. What uh, a great call to get. Yeah, so at that point, we went, yeah, that's a great choice. Do you think it was kind of the production and the sound of the single that maybe reacted differently? I'm not sure exactly what was distinctive about that song. 
as you mentioned, the production, perhaps the way it sounds. When we play the song live still, as soon as we start the song and play the first couple of chords, you know, everyone goes crazy, and there's really nothing particularly unique about those chords. It's just, I guess, the overall sound of it or something like that. It evokes an emotion know, is what it does, the feeling. Yeah, I think so. And also, at the time, it was actually a very controversial song. I bet. Uh, a few stations wouldn't play the song, wow. and we actually had a few uh, churches and so forth. I mean, it sounds kind of silly now, uh-huh. but a lot of people objected to the song. So I think that, frankly, sold a lot more copies, if you want to be honest about it. <laughs> right. And later on, uh, didn't Ricky Skaggs request that when you opened for him, he requested you <laughs> not to play that song? <laughs> he, he did. And, and Ricky's a dear friend of ours, and we kind of joke about it now. But I guess because of his somewhat religious leanings, when we first started touring in country, Ricky was one of the first acts we toured with, and, and okay. he'd already had some hits, and we'd only had like one hit, so we wanted to do Kiss All Over in the show because we didn't have sure. a lot of hits, but, you know, and I think the first night on the tour we did it, and then his tour manager came and, and asked if we would not play that song, and frankly, we weren't very happy about it, and we had a little go-around a couple of times. I don't remember how we resolved it. I think maybe we did it on some venues and others didn't, but let's face it, it's a sexy song. It was voted, believe it or not, one of the top ten sexiest songs of all time by Billboard. I think it was five or six or something like that. Okay. Being the keyboardist, you know, and you start out the song with those Mm -hmm. chords, every time you start that song, does it still bring a thrill? It does. I can't say as I ever get tired of playing it. I think it's partly the audience reaction. Yeah. So, yeah, I still enjoy playing it every time. And we obviously have to play it, you know, right. every show. <laughs> People and expect I, it. Yeah. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Marlon Hargis, keyboardist for the band Exile, sharing with you all about their storied career and how they're celebrating 55 years in the music business. So now the song was huge in South Africa. You tell a story about when you guys got off the plane in Johannesburg. Well, I guess like 79, uh, we actually were booked to play in in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And we didn't realize we were a huge act there. I'm not saying that in an egotistical way, but what I'm getting at is we didn't know it. No one had told us that we had had a lot of hits over there. Okay. Uh, you know, we just were booked to go there. So we fly there. It was like a 20-hour flight. You know, we're all tired and hungover. and Jet-lagged. <laughs> yeah, jet-lagged. And we get off the plane in Johannesburg. And back then, this was in the 80s, the plane just landed out on the tarmac, and you walked a certain distance to the uh, airport. When we got off the plane, and again, we're all tired and, you know, dirty. We've been on a plane for 20 hours. And we noticed there was like three or 4,000 people standing at the airport and on the roof and everything and oh. yelling and waving. And we're literally looking around behind us and trying to figure out, okay, who's on the plane with us? You know, what's going on? Right. And then a bunch of reporters and stuff came up and we realized they were there to see us. Wow. And it was kind of funny in a way because we didn't have a clue. Yeah, and you probably didn't uh, even and, uh, brush your teeth. No, we didn't. We were... We look like crap, to be honest. <laughs> About as unrock and rollish as you could. And uh, so we're trying to get ourselves together and walking this in and filming it. And we're trying to get it together. But it was just one of those cool moments, but kind of a funny moment, too, uh-huh. and that we just didn't have a clue what was going on. Right. I'm sure etched in your memory. Yeah, you probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember we, we went back a couple of years later and did a major tour of the whole country. And we actually ended up sort of playing a different show of some songs that were hits there that we didn't normally play. Interesting. As a band, I bet that was a really uniting experience to even, like, play these songs that weren't hits other places, and then you get the reaction there. That had to be cool. 
Yeah, it was, and, and that's something we still try to do today in touring. We're actually getting ready to go into rehearsal for this year, is try to do some different songs each year just to keep ourselves fresh, right, nothing right. else, you know. Uh-huh. So you're not doing the same old show every year. I think that's one reason we're still around, is I don't ever want to go on stage and just go through the motions, you know. I, frankly, you've seen some acts do that. Right. They just, you know, they're just playing their hits and getting money and going home. And if, if we ever do that, then, then we should go home. We shouldn't be on stage. Going to take a quick break with more from keyboardist of the band Exile, Marlon Hargis, when we come back. You'll hear more about their musical journey, including switching from the rock-pop genre to country music. It's all here when you come back on the Mulberry Lane Show. Love you, need you, yeah. I want to kiss you all over, over again. stories behind the songs back to the mulberry lane show now here's mulberry lane thanks for keeping it here on the mulberry lane show continuing on with your weekend with marlon hargis of the band exile if you tuned in on the last segment you heard some stories behind their mega hit i want to kiss you all over and right now we're going to rejoin marlon as he continues to chat about their career and the path that led them into country music and topping the country chart back with marlon hargis right now the songwriters of the group, J.P. Pennington, Mark Gray, and Sonny Lemaire, they had songs recorded by right. country artists and hits by country artists. And that kind of led your path to Nashville. But that had to be it kind did. of a decision that you wrestled with because you were definitely in the rock lane. So what was that time like and how did that decision come about for you guys? We were still doing okay as a pop act, but we weren't having any top ten hits. I think, frankly, our record company kind of lost interest in us at this point. We were releasing songs that weren't being pushed very much. An example of that, there's a song called Heart and Soul that Huey Lewis had a huge hit on. That was actually written by Mike Chapman for us, and we recorded it first. Uh, It was on an album called Heart and Soul, and the record company didn't really push the single at all. And then Huey actually copied it pretty much note for note, which he will greatly admit to because we've done some shows with him. But (laughs) at any rate, we were writing for other artists, and also J.P. in particular. Alabama had taken two of his songs and had huge hits with them, Take Me Down and The Closer You Get. And actually, we had released those songs first as well, but with not a lot of success, again, lack of record companies. Our manager at the time, his name was Jim Morey, he he managed uh, acts like Cher and Michael Jackson and Dolly, and he was a dear friend of ours, and still actually sort of semi-retired. And he's supposed to be a good guy, too, right? uh, He's a wonderful guy, really good guy. He's actually from the Midwest, I think Nebraska, just uh, a really good guy. As a matter of fact, I spoke to him on the phone just a few months ago, great guy. He actually came to Lexington to have a meeting and said, look, guys, you're not having a lot of success in the pop field. Let's be do some checking around and let's go to the country market. And also the country market was changing at that point, too. Right. Uh, you'd had mainly Alabama, I think, they changed a lot of things. And mm-hmm. with our songs, they were having huge hit. You'd had the whole urban cowboy thing a couple of years before that. So mm-hmm. to be honest, we didn't really change our sound very much yes. at all. Yeah, so just, your sound just, was becoming more country because country was becoming a little bit more rock or pop. 
Yeah, more pop. It was. And our sound, I think, basically, is kind of an R&B sound. It's yeah. really what it comes down to. We're not a typical country band, really, or, or we weren't really even a typical rock and roll band. Right. We were an R&B band and still are. Yeah. We hired a different producer. His name was Buddy Kellen. He was a very successful country. And actually, he was from Memphis. He had recorded a lot of R&B stuff Okay, so he that. had that so, vocabulary as well. Yeah, and I think that's why he liked us so well, because he related to us. And another interesting thing is we were the first country act to actually play on our own records. A lot of bands Studio used to be musicians, players, right? Uh, you know, exactly. So Buddy knew that we knew what we were doing, and we kind of insisted, you know, with the record company that we play on our own records. So it was a pretty easy transition. Smooth transition. Really. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Marlon Hargis, keyboardist for the band Exile, celebrating 55 years in the music business. He's joining your weekend here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You guys had multiple hits in country music. This was the second time around tasting major success. Uh So what did you learn from the first time around, the success you had with Kiss You All Over, that you brought into this next period of success? I think the main thing, because we were a little older, I think we appreciated it a little bit more. As you ladies know, particularly in the pop field, it hits so quickly. I mean, we were literally playing in a club one week and filming the Midnight Special in Hollywood the next week. And immediately out on tour, you don't really have time to really let it sink in and enjoy it. Really, for about the first year, every day, we were going somewhere doing something. And so I think when the country deal came along, I think we tried to appreciate it a little bit more. Even though, I'll have to say, the first couple of years when we started having country hits, we were probably busier. One year, we were on the road about 300 days. And, you know, the interesting thing is we've really had a third career when the five of us reunited 10 years ago. But I think now we take the time to enjoy what we do even more. Uh Uh, If we're somewhere like around the Grand Canyon, we'll make it a point to take a couple of days off and talk to a little bit, take the family with us. When we were younger, we never did that because we just didn't have time. Well, you feel the pressure Uh, of having to keep the success up and having to keep it going. So, you know, you don't feel like you can relax. That's true. And and that's a very important point now is that we realize we're not going to have a hit on the radio. The Department of Labor, there's not a chance in hell we're going to have a hit. <laughs> so, but who cares, you know? And the thing is, as you just said, it takes the pressure of worrying about that off. Oh. You know, we've got a couple of recording projects we've finished, and the stuff we've done in recent years, we don't worry about if it's radio is going to like right. it or not. It doesn't matter. We can kind of do what we want and really enjoy it. Yeah. So that's a big difference now. It's, that's it's, a whole it's, it's much more enjoyable. different definition of success. Yeah, it is. And the best part is you have your captivated audience that you don't need to really build your audience. And that's one thing about, I think, country music fans is they tend to stick with you. Basically, as you kind of pointed out, we're sort of in control of our career at this point. So that's kind of nice not to have to worry about what other people think, really. Absolutely. So now no one prepares you for the emotional and the pressure side of success. So if you were to give advice to a band whose star is beginning to rise, you know, they're starting that churn, you know, up the charts or whatever, Uh what pitfalls should they avoid? And especially with their interactions with each other, because sometimes as the success goes up, the conflict goes up. Yeah. It does. Interesting enough, there's a book that's been written about us, and I'm not trying to push the book. And the book's called 50 Years of Exile. It was written by a musicologist and author. He interviewed all the band members through the years and everything. Oh, and, and, and there have and been 35 members throughout the years, right? 
Yeah, and that's a little deceptive in that a lot of those members were around when the band first started, and there were a couple of members who were in the band like one show. Okay. That, right. You know, uh, <laughs> and I have to say that because basically the five of us that reunited, we're the five guys who played on all the records. and The core. You know, yeah. basically the core band. But I think my advice is, she said egos play a large part and at a certain point I left the band and at a certain point other band members left and a lot of it had to do with egos and frankly when you're young you might party a little too much and take yourself a little too seriously you know and, and it's it's easy to advise young artists to not do that but they're probably going to do it anyway you know <laughs> yeah. so uh, <laughs> you just have to learn I, I think First of all, I would advise an artist, it's a business. You know, you have to approach it as a business. Now, first of all, let me back up a little bit by saying musically, you have to enjoy what you're doing. If you don't have the passion for being a musician, don't do it. As you ladies know, it's a hard business. That's true. Uh, and it's a very heartbreaking business. I'd say maybe like yeah. 5% of acts that try to make it, it's that are successful. So right. for one thing, get used to being turned down because you're going to be turned down a lot. You have to have a thick skin. You have to approach it like a business. You have to have a good manager. You have to have a good account and all that sort of stuff. And I guess the basic thing is if you don't have the passion for it and if you don't enjoy working together, forget about it. You know, go do something else. That's the whole thing is you have to have a passion for what you want to do and be willing to starve. You know, I think all of us have done it at one point or another. Wise words from Marlon Hargis, keyboard player for Supergroup Exile. When we come back, the final segment with Marlon, more behind-the-scenes musical stories coming up right here on The Mulberry Link Show. Anything, I would give anything I could only show you How strong my passion is for you Every time Got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. Joining your weekend keyboardist for the supergroup Exile, Marlon Hargis is here. You're tuning in to the final segment with Marlon, talking about celebrating 55 years in the music business and the No Limits Tour. Let's get back with Marlon. So when you guys got back together 10 years ago, what was different about this reunion that kept things going? I think now, when we got back together, I always say you don't, you, you just don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Okay. You know, you, you learn to live with everybody's little idiosyncrasies. Yeah, uh, and you probably and, even and, appreciate and, 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 those idiosyncrasies. You have to laugh at them, <laughs> yeah. And I know his sister should know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> so you do, and quite frankly, you know, there's probably about once a week I get kicked off someone in the band. <laughs> I'm sure. But that's just part of it. Bottom line is, as corny as it sounds, when we get on stage the five of us, it's worth all the little hassles. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's something that happens when we're together on the stage magic. and it makes it all worth it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is. And I hate to use that, but there's a certain sound and when we're individually playing with other acts, it's not the same. Yeah. And the combination of all of you together is what works. I mean, you know, the sum of the parts, it creates something different. So, 
all the little stuff, it's worth it. And if each of us didn't enjoy being on stage, I think we would quit. And I bet when you left, I bet you figured out that you really missed it. Not for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually. No, actually, for a few years, I didn't miss it a bit. But that was because I was always playing music, Uh you know, through the years. As I said, almost exactly 10 years ago, we had sort of started kind of getting in touch with each other. uh, Because like some of the guys I hadn't even talked to for years, and and for no particular reason. Not that we were angry, we were just doing different things. Uh, One of our uh, tour managers in the past had been in a really bad motorcycle accident and needed a lot of money for a hospital uh, issue. So we started talking amongst ourselves to get together to do a benefit show for him. And I think, as you alluded to, I think I had kind of been thinking that it would be kind of nice to see the guys and get back together, really just kind of for the heck of it, you know? Uh We literally had no aspirations other than to get together for one show. We got together for two or three rehearsals, and and I think at a certain point it kind of hit everybody, you know, this this sounded pretty damn good, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it came back pretty quickly. Then we did the one show, and it was a huge success. And then we maybe decided to do one or two more. But it it was really not a planned thing for us to still be around 10 years later. When you guys get together now and rehearse, how often do you fall back into the same roles and kind of start to annoy each other again? One thing, you either don't let it get to you, or another thing that's different now is if someone has something to say to someone else, you know, you can say, look, I think you're full of crap. and get it out and then you get over it okay. you know you can that, go that's, there that's the main other. thing yeah i think in past years and with a lot of bands you sort of let stuff build up till it just gets totally out of hand you know Explosive. i don't think there's a lot of friction in the band we generally are on the same wavelength when someone's in a bad mood or having a bad day or something everyone just just have to let it ride just not make a big deal about yeah. it so that's really the way it works uh-huh. so now before we let you go do you have a highlight Back in the 80s, The Tonight Show was a huge show. Johnny Carson was the star of it. A certain group of people that was on the show with him every night, Ed McMahon and Doc Severinsen, and we finally did the show. And I remember it was just one of those things. You're on a show with someone you watch on TV every night for your whole life, pretty much. The night we did the show, it was actually taped in the afternoon in L.A., Everyone was there that day. So all these iconic people that you'd grown up with were all there. And just to be able to meet them, I remember that we were doing the song Super Love. The stage was set up sort of right by the desk area where Johnny would always sit. And I remember playing the song and and looking over and watching him watch us. And he was tapping along with a pencil, which is a thing he was kind of known to do. And I was just thinking, you know, it doesn't get much better than this to be able to be on a show with you know, one of your your idols that you've grown up with. So I think for me, and I think for most of us, that was really one of the highlights. You're listening to Marlon Hargis, keyboardist for the award-winning chart-topping band Exile, here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I just want you to share a story that I read. You tell the Make It Rain story about the Oak Ridge Boys. The Oak Ridge Boys, who are wonderful guys, by the way, they're still good friends of ours. They took us out on tour, and they were probably one of the top two or three acts at the time. And we were playing, you know, 15, 18,000-seat arenas every night. And I think it was Joe and Dwayne. One night, we were getting ready to go on stage, and they walked into a dressing room. And it was Dwayne was carrying a pillowcase. We were just kind of looking at him. And he said, guys, you know, I said, uh, you guys make us a lot of extra money every night. So we wanted to give you a little bonus. So he lifts up the pillowcase, and it's open, and he throws it up and starts spreading it. You know, there were $5,001 bills in there. 
and he starts scattering it over the whole dressing room. I mean, it's, like you said, he was making a rain in there. I hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> and, uh, and we were all, you know, laughing about it. And the funny thing is, and I don't think he would mind me telling this, one of the most successful managers now in the business is named Clarence Spaulding. Okay. And Clarence manages Jason Aldean and Rascal Flats and Reba and he's Brooks and Dunn. Clarence was our tour manager. We brought him into the music business, and okay. Clarence comes in the room, and he's all ticked off, and he's going, you guys think this is funny? I'm going to clean all this stuff up. Uh, <laughs> and he was so the one he, who had to clean it up, probably. Well, he didn't literally, but he's going, yeah, who's going to pick up all these $1 bills? You know, <laughs> wow. so, so, but and That just kind of shows what a fun guys they were. They were very good to us, and they taught us a lot, and they're still great friends. But, That's awesome. Yeah, so he was one of the first people to make it right i never thought it was that way before, before. it was a thing <laughs> well, yeah absolutely in our dressing room <laughs> That's awesome. okay so now you guys are about ready to go on tour and i know you're coming close to us you're going to be in iowa city in july, july. so what can people expect uh, from the tour so. each year we try to change the show around a bit we're actually in an enviable position is that we don't have time in a 90 minute show to do all your hits, everything we want to, yeah. <laughs> That's and, a rough and we also, it, it, it is, believe it or not, it is because inevitably, if you leave a song out, someone's going to come up after the show, and, and that's the You're one song we want to hear, you yeah, know? exactly. Then we actually do a medley of hits we've written for other artists, like Take Me Down, The Closer You Get, stuff like that. Sure. The whole point of our show is, is to keep it upbeat, and we always want to get the audience involved as much as possible. We do a lot of sing-along stuff, and basically we want everyone to leave the show you know, feeling better than when they came. I mean, there's no huge, heavy message we have or anything. It's just basically enjoy yourself. Well, so it doesn't get any uh, better than that. I don't think so, and, and I'm actually kind of anxious to see what, what we're going to do different, too, because it keeps us excited, you know, just for something different. Right. Well, Marlon, we want to thank you for spending so much time with us. We really enjoyed this conversation. It's so great to get behind-the-scenes look at the band and your experiences. It's been really enlightening. Well, it's been very enjoyable, and it's always enjoyable talking to other musicians, and uh, you asked some great questions, and I quite enjoyed it. And let me give a quick plug here. We've got a website. It's exile.biz. E-X-I-L-E dot B-I-Z. We have all our tour dates on there, and we're adding more every day. Great. So uh, if anyone's interested, just keep an eye on that site. Then we have a real active Facebook page. We put stuff on there about every day, and it's called Exile Band Official. And you can kind of keep up with what we're doing on through that. We've got a new CD project. We actually have just finished re-recording all of our hits and sort of updated them. Wow. And then... Another CD we're coming out later in the year with is we discovered some old tapes that we thought were lost, some material that we used to do back in the 80s. Awesome. We're having that remastered, and we're going to release that later in the year. So you're going to have to come back when those projects are ready to be released. Come back and chat with us. Yeah, always love to. I've quite enjoyed it, and uh, anytime you want to talk, just give me a call. I'll be glad to. That's Marlon Hargis here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Stay right there, because when we come back, you're going to hear from Siddhartha Kosla, who puts together the soundtrack for the hit award-winning series, This Is Us. Baby, I'm off the wall, up the creek, going down the wrong way, on a one-way street. I ain't got the sense that the good Lord gave a goose, but I sure got one thing that I'd like to give to you. Love. Super duper love 
Sing the songs. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, This Is Us has become TV's biggest breakout hit of the year. The NBC hit show won two Emmys along with Critics' Choice Awards, People's Choice Awards, Image Awards, African American Film Choice Awards. You get the picture. So if you ever wonder how these soundtracks are put together, Siddhartha Kosla, film, TV composer, and singer-songwriter who makes the musical choices for the series, is here right now to give you a behind-the-scenes on the series and its music. Welcome, welcome to the show, Siddhartha. <laughs> I love that introduction. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Great to have you. Okay, so now first off, you are a singer-songwriter with your own band. How did you come to this series and how it all took shape? Well, um, I started my career as a singer-songwriter of the band Gold Spot. So we put out some albums and toured. And at the same time while I was doing that, one of my really good friends from college, Dan Fogelman, was out in Hollywood making movies and TV shows. And he started his career as a screenwriter, and I started mine as a songwriter. And we went on these divergent paths in our careers. And one day, a few years ago, Dan called me and said, Hey, will you come and work on my TV show? Um, We're looking for a composer. And... I had just come back from, I think, a tour, and um, I, I said, sure. And I, I'd never done it before, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll score. And, uh, and I scored his television show, and it was a comedy. I loved it so much, and I started writing music for film and television. Okay. And my songs in Goldspot had also appeared already in film and television. They were in all these TV shows, like okay. How I Met Your Mother and, and The O.C. and all sorts of different shows. So we kind of had a little bit of an introduction into it. And then now it's just kind of been what I do now. I love scoring for film and television and writing original songs and music. And then last year, This Is Us, Dan called me again and he said, hey, I've got this script for This Is Us. Um, It's a new show that I'm writing. They just started filming it. And he's like, will you read this script and tell me what you think and see if it inspires something? Mm -hmm. And um, I made a sound for the show from that script. Wow, I I read the script and I was like, I need to pick up my acoustic guitar right now because I'm feeling that. And Uh these emotions came to me that were the emotions of like a Joni Mitchell or or the Beatles or um, Nick Drake. And and these artists kind of popped into my head reading the script. And I started playing music that evoked that 60s, 70s kind of sound. And that's how the palette of of the score, at least, was created. So is that how you have written in the past, up until this point where a feeling overtakes you and you kind of write that feeling? Or was this kind of a new thing? No, that's kind of, you know, if creators of shows, uh, generally in my relationship with them, they like that I can come up with a palette, you know, just by reading a script sometimes. And I think it's also with Dan Fogelman, who created This Is Us, I know him for so long. You know, we went to college together, and so he and I have a very deep friendship outside of this show. Um, he's one of my closest friends. And so I think, like, that's another thing. I have, like, a window into his soul on some level. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I, we connect artistically, too, on the show, which is so much fun. And so getting to know my good buddy, basically, and these stories on This Is Us are these beautiful stories. They're yes. heartbreaking. They're about mm-hmm. love and life and loss, and they're about everyday people and the challenges that life itself brings to us. And some of that is based on his own life's experiences, and I've seen him go through some really difficult times as well, and some good times as well. Mm-hmm. So for this show, it's different because I know where it's coming from. I know where these characters are coming from, and so I am inspired by that. So I write so, music for my friend as much as I write music uh-huh. for the show. Which probably gives it more of an intimate level, too, I would think. Yeah, I think I'm able to tap into something emotional 
Yeah. You know, it's and it makes it more raw and visceral and real, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it is entirely real, you know. I mean, I, I will watch scenes from the show before there's any music on it. Okay. Um, Are you I, in the actual writer's room, or do you get the completed scenes? Um, you know, I've been in the writer's room, like, once, because the writers do all their research, and they want to, like, know everything about different people's lives, and they like real-life stories to enter into some of these okay. scripts. But on this show, mostly, I get scripts of the episodes, and I also get footage from the shows as they're filming. Like, I get okay. an editor's cuts, and I get a director's cuts. The director goes in and sends me something. So I get to see the show without any music, and then I get to put the music on it. Well, right now you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with Sid Hartha Kosla. He's the composer of the music for the NBC drama This Is Us, and the This Is Us soundtrack is out now. Does any actor on the show really connect with you where you key into one character or person to give you the feel for it, or is it more of a collective thing? It's collective. It's about the connective tissue between all of these people. And so I kind of need every single one of those actors okay. in this because they all are a little piece of this puzzle. Okay. Yeah. Are you actually on set when they record or not? I have been on set, yes. So on the Memphis episode last year, I had to write a song called We Can Always Come Back to This for this episode. And it's this soul type of song that was performed live on set. And it, it became it, a, an iTunes billboard hit as well. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I still can't believe it, but yes, it did. <laughs> and so I had to go on set there and watch okay. the recording of it and make sure that, you know, the band was performing the song and just kind of sit with the directors and make sure that the song was being performed in the right way and it was accurate. And so, yeah, so I get to go on set once in a while when I have time. So normally I'm holed up in my recording studio. Like yeah, okay. And then one final question. You know, after you've chosen the music for the episode, do you watch the charts the next day to see what connected? No, I mean, and, and you know, I can't take full credit for this because, you know, this is the team effort. You know, I write all the original music for the show. So all okay. the original score, the original songs, any of my band songs, Gold Spot stuff, that's me. But then there's a music supervisor named Jen Pikin, who is actually the one, um, along with Dan Fogelman and our directors and producers, that finds the classic songs that you hear. So I can't take credit for that. They are really responsible for that. So it's a team effort on that. But, well, when We Can Always Come Back to This was on the show, and they said, well, we're going to be releasing this on iTunes the next day. Of course, I kind of was like, hmm, let's just see. (laughs) Let's see what it does. (laughs) What a happy day, though. You know, I've got like two big television screens in my studio. I've got room to kind of pop up the iTunes charts on the right. So, yeah, I would sneak it in and check it out, and it was really exciting because it was like the song all of a sudden was like, it got to like number 12, and it was like the number one blues song in the country for like four weeks straight. It was like, you couldn't believe it. And where can people follow your work? Um, I'm at Sid Kosla Music on Twitter, S-I-D-D, Sid Kosla Music, and my band is called Gold Spot. Check out, you know, my stuff online, YouTube and Facebook and wherever else, Twitter and Instagram. But if you want to find out all things This Is Us, like all my score and music stuff, it's at Sid Kosla Music. Okay, and I wish we had more time because you have a very interesting personal story, too, but you'll have to come back and share more with us. I would absolutely love to. And then thanks for singing me on. That was like a musician's dream. (laughs) That was great. Thanks, Sid. Take care. All right. Take care. That was Sid Hartha Kosla, music composer for the NBC series This Is Us, and he also scores the series. So don't give up on me. 
Partha Koslip. Make sure you check out the latest season of NBC's This Is Us. And Sid, thanks for showing us the behind-the-scenes magic behind the music of this show. Check out the soundtrack, This Is Us. Okay, Allie, who else do we need to thank? Gotta thank Marlon Hargis from the supergroup Exile. Exile has sold over 8 million albums, and Marlon gave you a really honest and in-depth look into the career of Exile, the ups, the downs, the crossover hits, and what's ahead. Marlon, thanks for being so open and thoughtful with your interview today. And you guys can go to exile.biz to see where you can catch them on the 2018 No Limit Tour. That wraps up another edition of the Mulberry Lane Show. Make sure you join us same time, same place, same freezing weather next weekend. <laughs> Let's hope it warms up a little bit. You be there, because we'll be right here. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, you can go to our Facebook page, Mulberry Lane, this week, because we might have a new song up for you. And you can also check out who will be on the show next weekend. Both. Stay happy and stay blessed. Allie. Don't forget to be awesome. Rachel. That's a wrap. Woo! Yeah! Right. yeah.